0: And a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Greg Strawbridge. He is the pastor of All Saints Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He's authored and edited a number of books, including The Case for Covenant Communion and The Case for Covenantal Infant Baptism. He also runs WordMP3.com. Greg, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Before we get into our reflections on this week's lectionary text, you actually have—it's—I I feel like I want to say congratulations—you've given birth to a podcast. Like this is uh, something that's been in the works for you know a month and a half or so, right? Like the idea was hatched, and then now it's live. Yes,
1: actually, uh, you helped me with that quite a bit, Scott. I appreciate it. Uh, we were talking one day, and I said I—I I really like the Synaxis podcast. It helps me prepare for the week. Helps me prepare for Sunday. And so I'm thinking I'm going to do a, to do a com- podcast on Eucharist. And so it, and part of the conversation was Eucharistics. Let's do a Eucharistics type podcast where it looks at the Eucharistic rather than the synaxis part of life. So it's available now online. And I Eucharistic- think I told
0: when you were saying something about the Eucharist, I said, well, you should call it Eucharistics. So I was thinking like Eurythmics.
1: Yeah, right. That's right. Now, if you really so, got creative, you
0: could use a Eurythmic song regularly, but like, I don't know.
1: Yeah. So so Eucharistics with an X at the end is online now at Eucharistics.com. You can hear our first inaugural podcast. We look at the Eucharistic dimension of life and worship, and it does focus on culture as well as uh, liturgy and worship.
0: Yeah, I have heard the first episode, and it's fantastic. I mean, it's fun. It's incredibly easy to listen to. You've done a great job producing it. Yeah. So everybody Thank subscribe. You. Go to iTunes, subscribe, maybe even write a review. Give it a rating. Let's get this Excellent. thing off the ground. So our first reading in the, it's interesting, right? Because in an Easter tide or an Easter season, the lectionary goes to the book of Acts. And I guess we're sort of looking at sort of the Easter ties where we look at if, if the resurrection, death and resurrection of Christ is like the Passover event in the first Testament, in the old Testament, right? This is, you know, the, and then the subsequent scripture kind of, follows that i guess the mentality is that well the book of acts is kind of the redemptive historical follow up to the, the this to the pascal mystery
1: yeah i think that's right i think there's a number of reasons for the lectionary's use of acts but one of them i think is certainly just to give the the narrative background to what happened after christ's resurrection
0: and we're in acts 8 this week 26 through 40 where we've got a fascinating story here. This is like one of these things where you hear of, you, you always hear stories of, and you see people like evangelists who set up shop, you know, Christians, Jehovah's Witnesses, more used to set up shop, kind of give out tracks over. This is the, 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 one of the few times I know God picks someone up and sets him in the shop, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> you actually um, have, have having, you have the Lord sort of saying, Hey, go this way. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're yeah. gonna. This is the easiest thing. We're like, you never know who the easy mark is when you're doing street evangelism. But the Lord actually tells him here in Acts eight, Philip, there's a mark coming down the road, and he's gonna buy what you're selling. Yeah, actually, Philip is a
1: very interesting character because he's uh, ordained as a deacon or some what a proto deacon, whatever you want to call that, a few chapters before, and then we learn later that he has seven daughters who are prophetesses. Or propheti, whatever the you, of prophet, prophet is for the female gender. You you have yeah.
0: three, or any prophetesses, or prophetesses? Yeah, we have.
1: I only have three, so he has seven. What what's up with that? You know, um, but he, here in this text, though, what's another very interesting thing about this text is, um, you know, he goes up to this Ethiopian eunuch and he shares with him from. You know, the scroll of Isaiah. And if you read back a couple chapters before the text he cites, um, if you look at verse um, 34, you know, about about whom may I ask, does the prophet say this? And he's speaking of uh, like a sheep who was led to slaughter and so forth. And if you go back a chapter or two, you see there's a prophecy about eunuchs becoming fruitful vines uh, and fruitful in the new covenant. And so here's like a fulfillment. It's also interesting to me that the eunuch is kind of a transitional move. If you look at the book of Acts from the outline point of view, uh, the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, right. to and the, all the earth.
0: The end is the to end. The,
1: yes. the, yeah. To the Eschatos nation, the last nation of the earth. Um,
0: which of course is the United States.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was thinking probably so, but, uh, If you look at the baptismal cases, they follow that pattern. So there's Jerusalem baptisms, there's the the baptism in Samaria, and then you have this transition. So you have the eunuch, who's from very far away, but he's a God-fearer. He's worshiping in Jerusalem. Then you have the baptism of Saul, who becomes the, the apostle to the Gentiles. Then the first Gentile baptism is in Acts chapter 10. That's Cornelius and family. And so the baptisms kind of move outward and it, it moves through that. So it is interesting that Philip goes to evangelize this eunuch. And at the very end of the reading, we have uh, verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus. Well, that's just the same. That's basically the same place of uh, the Philistine city that the ark was taken. Um, so basically you have the, the enemies of Israel now are being evangelized. Um, and he goes all the way down to Caesarea, it says.
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting too, and it's an interesting evangelism strategy, right? I mean, I don't know, we don't know how much this Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I I, I haven't thought about this because one of the things that I always think is a sort of evangelistic hurdle. If you're a first century Jew, is converting a, a, adults to Judaism involves for males a painful surgery, and so. You know, I can understand why so many people would be. I still but a eunuch, I guess he'd probably have still, I guess he still probably would have had enough to have the painful surgery. Although would the defilement of being a eunuch bar you from from in Leviticus? There's steam yeah. yeah, it would, right? You you would Yeah, you, so you,
1: I mean there's a yeah, right. Let me I mean, in fact, let me just pull it up and read it because I think it's a fascinating point. Um it's in I believe it's in Isaiah 52 if I'm not mistaken. I'll tell you <clears throat> that, um, um, sorry for the delay here. Yeah. Isaiah 56, three, um, for let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Hmm. So the indication is the new covenant comes along and now even eunuchs are fruitful, even though they were not permitted to serve as priests, they were not permitted to enter into the most you know secluded Relationship with God in the Old Covenant. Now, this is a, I would say, a direct fulfillment of that thematic idea that all of those that were cast out, that were disenfranchised, are now brought in. So there's something wonderful to that. But as, as I said, I think it, it it factors into the larger pattern of Acts as a transition to the Gentiles.
0: Yeah, and it's it's, it's interesting because you know you Philip here talks about it's it's sort of like the the eunuch. Is in this place of sort of at least on you know from the perspective of old covenant cultic stipulations. I'm sure it's not being a great great being eunuch in any culture. <laughs> I mean, although a court official, maybe it's the cost, so you don't accost some female, you know, uh, high royalty figure. But it's interesting the suffer the proclamation of the suffered lamb, the humiliated lamb meets the one who has no ability to be fruitful. Naturally, and so it's sort of like the power of the gospel suffering on suffering,
1: yeah, you know this past sunday i i had we had a couple of baptisms in our church, and they were uh, of a new family and they uh because of a particular uh, somewhat severe medical syndrome, this man is unable to bear children, and they've adopted two children, and the adoption of their youngest child just came through this week, and so they they had them both baptized and I went back and kind of rethought through the whole issue of. What's the basis for baptism? And it was a real encouragement to me to think that those that are adopted into the children of a believer's family, you know, to, to a believer's family, those children are a special gift and blessing. And so this, this very passage came to my mind, and I actually rewrote some of my—I usually give a little letter that says on you know Sunday when we're going to baptize, here's what we're going to do, here's a prayer we're going to read, here are the vows that we're going to ask you to take. And I went through that and read through, it and I realized I did not include statements about adoption, and I should have. And so I wrote, rewrote the entire thing last week to make sure that that was very clear. And it was such a blessing to to see that baptism happen. I often say I've I've you know done a little bit of debating on baptism, infant baptism, and those kind of things from a Reformed point of view. And uh, I often say you know this is a great example for an adult conversion baptism. You know he says in verse thirty six. Look, here's water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? And some translations say, you know, if you believe with all your heart uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, you can be baptized, which is, you know, a profession before baptism. And that's a great example of adult conversion. But of course, it doesn't tell us much about what you do with the eunuch's children, right? Yeah. You know, (laughs) there's not um, this, you know, the question of infant baptism and inclusion of baptism has to do with what do we do with the children of those that believe, not what we do with adult converts. Uh, we all agree. Everybody in the whole world, all of Christendom has always agreed that you baptize adults on the basis of their profession of faith, but that's not agreed on what you do with their children. Yeah, yeah. And the eunuch case doesn't really tell us about believers' children. So I often say things like, now, why weren't the eunuch's children baptized with his household? Well, you know, <laughs> because <Right. laughs> he's a eunuch. <laughs>
0: the children of God. Let's go on to 1 John. Uh, here we have this great uh, passage, uh, 1 John 4, 7-21. through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Ontological statement about God here. I think it's one of the few in Scripture where it's not metaphorical. It's, you know, God is love.
1: Yeah, yeah. Great! I mean, a wonderful passage, a song, a very well-known song back in the probably the seventies. You know, behold what love the Father's given unto us um, as children of God. Very like a scripture song that many people know. Now, I learned from listening to this podcast a couple of weeks ago that you did not know the 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 simple song about silver and gold have I none. So, have you heard of this song? Anyone that
0: listens to to this podcast could regularly know. (laughs) <laughs> My many, 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 many ignorances. <laughs> for a okay. short podcast, many are revealed.
1: <laughs> well, um, yeah. That, so there's a song based on this verse. Um, uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that's born uh know is God, and so forth. It sounds like that. Um, good song. I'm shocked, nine, I'm shocked it
0: wasn't a top 40 hit.
1: <laughs> yeah, just one of those old scripture songs, you know, Good, but but helpful for learning the Bible, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. And in fact, the last part of the song said 1 John 4, 7 and 8. So, you know, you locked in the the memory reference there. But it's interesting, John, uh, in his first epistle, it's if you read through it, it's not very comfortable to read through it from modern Western point of view, because it's so circular. Like he, he's talking about the Antichrist here and a couple chapters later, he's talking about it again. He's talking about love here. He's talking about confidence here. He's talking about it again another chapter later. And so what you have to do is understand what the structure of the book is. And I believe the, the structure of the book is very chiastic. That is, it's a parallel sequence. And in case you you know don't know that term or anything, it's just the idea that there's an A part, then there's a B part that's a center, and then there's a parallel to A, A prime. And in, in this case, I think that First uh, John actually has about seven or maybe nine layers of of the outline. And the first layer is uh, starts with um, eternal life. If you look at the very last verse, it talks about eternal life. Then you have the truth that's proclaimed. And then again, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, the testimony that's received, and the love, the commandment. Then there's another example of the love example, and that's where we are in level C of this, this outline. If you want to see it, you can go to dot 3com and look up um, my sermons on 1 John, and you'll see the example of this. But in the center of the book is the message of sacrificial love.
0: It's really interesting. Our mutual friend, Peter Lightheart, and his great commentary from behind the veil on 1 John, which I, I think is fantastic. He talks about this, um, you know, some of the warnings here, and, and he's summarizing he says, the only way to be genuinely loving, to act and live in real love, is to know God. Love is an essential fruit of knowing God, a sine, a sine qua non of, of Christian life. This isn't designed to shake our assurance and confidence that we are born of God. John addresses his readers and us as ones who are loved by God. God loved us, he says in verse 10. And again, in verse 11, he repeats, God loved us. John doesn't hedge here. He doesn't say God might or might not have loved us, or he loves some of us, or he loves the really spiritual ones among us. Speaking to the members of the church, John says bluntly and straightforwardly, God loved us. I examine the reasons for that assurance below, but we should note for now that John assumes his readers are beloved ones in the beloved one. John doesn't want to snuff out a smoking reed or break a weak straw, though he certainly does want to snuff out false confidence. He doesn't want to undermine the confidence of the loving, or I guess, and I'm adding the loved, but he certainly wants to destroy the confidence of the loveless. And there, I think Peter, Peter is not often accused of being a Lutheran, but this is Luther, right? I mean, the Luther says our works are not for God but our neighbor, and if you, and Luther thinks that when you know God really, this is the whole thing in the freedom of a Christian, right? If you know you're loved by God, then you're actually free to love your neighbor. But if you don't know you're loved by God, then you're going to look at your neighbor as a means of uh, of your own self-realization or actualization or self-salvation. So there's a sense in which you could read this text as sort of, as what Peter's saying is, is, hey, this is Isaiah says this, but we're saying, hey, who's the, who's the, who's the smoking reed? You know, who's the, who's the uh, smoking wick? Who's the bruised reed? Let's boot them out. But there's a sense in which this is sort of saying a, a different message, right? And, and the gospel is bad news to people that are super confident of their own righteousness and really good news to people that are, uh, Struggling and, and and learn the example of how to love because of the recognition of their own spiritual poverty, need for the love of God, which then spills out over into from God to them into the world.
1: Yeah, and in fact, verse twenty, it's very social. Um, the the a lot of commentators talk about
0: bad the, news for the introverts listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think just that, kidding that's the case. but I think that the you know people that write on. Right on First John, talk about he lays out a theological test, you know, that Christ has come in the flesh and is, you know, the Messiah and so forth. Jesus is Messiah. Uh, he lays out a, a a an application test or a moral test of you know keeping the commandments of God, which is primarily the love commandment. And there's a social test, you know, loving loving the brethren. And so here in this passage, verse 20, those who say I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. And so there's a very strong sense in which the manifestation of this eternal life comes through living in community. If you don't live in community and don't love brothers and sisters and don't bear with and persevere with people, then you're really not ex- you know, not ex- uh, expressing the love that God calls us to. So there's a very strong, I would say, social sense here. Um, I don't want to, you know, get into personality types and say, well, people that are inter- introverted can't obey this command. That's not true. Uh, I I just think that we express it in various ways. But if you don't have that fundamental conviction, what do you do with this verse? You know, those who say I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. That's pretty pretty brutal, you know, as far as an assessment of spirituality there. And, and, also, we all,
0: and, you know, and also you probably have opponents in the background who are – have left the community or have a different confession of faith and say – Oh they, I hate them they're you know they're the false christ they're the false you know teachers and so there's a sense in which well you know, I remember Peter our friend who quoted saying like you know people saying I I I can't be in a church with people that pray that venerate icons or you know a, or, or make petitions to Mary and Peter will say you're already in a church with those people right because like there is one church and there's a sense in which you, you know we have differences, and there's and those are real. And yet, the first thing when somebody says, "Well, those people are," there's nothing of Christ there. You you're probably that should your spidey sense should go off.
1: Yeah. Well, you know it's it's interesting that when I studied years ago, you know, in seminary and first taught through First John, I kind of thought John was aiming that you know the people that he's talking about here, uh, the Antichrist that have gone out from us and so forth, were. Primarily, sort of Jew, uh, Gnostic types, you know, of Greek philosophy, Gnostic types. But I've become persuaded, and Lightheart's commentary yeah. uh, does a great job of this, that he's just talking about the same people that Paul's talking yeah, about, yeah. which are Judaizers. Yeah. You know, th- those people who are denying the fullness that, that the light has come in Jesus. And, you know, you said something about God is love, which is, of course, a beautiful verse here God is love. God, therefore, is personal and tri-personal in terms of christian confession and that makes sense of it um but in chapter one verse five he says god is light so light has come into the world through jesus you know you can reference john's gospel uh chapter one verse about five that light has come into the world and p- people have not wanted the light to come into the
0: world yeah, yeah in chapter yeah. three too and, and peter in the con in the con- commentary says the agnostics and the sort of Judaizers. Are- from Galatians have something in common they want the veil to remain closed and what, what is it like light and love right love draws near and the veil keeps out the light I mean there's a sense in which that this is love is it, you know accommodating comes down and, and there's a sense in which we want to keep the veil so closed the light, God gave Gospel and we, Greg, we've less, we've left, uh, the least time for the gospel, which shouldn't say anything about our Christology, or maybe it does, but here we go. We're just gonna go with it anyway, though, because we're, you know, if, if this was a sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So, uh, it's really interesting. Here's John 15, the great abiding passage. And this is, I'm reading the translation of Frederick Dale Bruner, fantastic commentary on John. He says his translation is, I, I am the real reader of the matter. And my father is the orchidist. Every branch in me that is not bearing fruit, he cuts it off. And every branch that is bearing fruit, he cuts it back so that it may bear even more fruit. Already you disciples are cleansed people because of the word that I've spoken to you. Make your home with me as I am with you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit all by itself. But only when it makes its home in the root, no more can you bear fruit unless you make your home with me. And then we, you know, we go on through um the yeah. rest of the passage on verse 8 for lecturing. but I, I love that i I'm, I'm the real heart of the matter kind of i'm the root of the matter
1: yeah well precious passage i mean just wonderful uh, i think you could develop an entire systematic theology out of this passage just thinking of it more as you're a vine um uh you're 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 part of a vi- the, you're connected to the true vine idea It's very important i think um and i think that there's a just a richness here that we, we should think in these kind of concrete images a lot more than we should think about terms like, you know, very Latinized sanctification. Well, what is sanctification? You know, yeah. it's abiding in Jesus. Yeah,
0: yeah, abide um, in him. There's a sense in which, like, you know, it's funny because Eugene Peterson says that discipleship is focusing more and more on Christ's righteousness and less and less on our own. And so this abide in me. Make your home in me. Like, when you need a home, we need a roof over your head you know, abide in me, make your home in me. I'll be your covering, I'll be your protection. And then, it, it, and you become, And when you make your home somewhere, you're shaped by the home, right? You're shaped by the family, you're shaped by the So there's a sense in which this is an invitation to take shelter and in the shelter, you know, and, and yet also paradoxically, the people that stay there will suffer. But suffering will be a means in which they'll learn more and more about, there's the whole pruning thing. You know, they'll learn the sweetness and beauty of the home through the struggles they suffer as they abide in the home.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I whenever I read about abiding, and that's a very favorite word for John, the Greek word minnow, uh, back at the very beginning of the gospel, there's a foreshadowing of this. It's beautiful, if you, if you can catch it. Back in chapter 1, verse 35, this is after John has been preaching, Jesus has been baptized, and John the Baptist says, you know, behold the Lamb of God. And verse thirty-five, again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Yeah. So this is the first indication that these disciples start to follow Jesus. I
0: love that question to the say like, right? Jesus says, What are you seeking? Yes. And they say, Where seek- are you going? Like, like yeah, we're well, seeking they, you. But,
1: but here's what they say they say, He you know, here's this profound thing. Like John the Baptist has just identified Jesus as Messiah. These people that, that were, were with John now turned to follow Jesus, and then Jesus turns and looks at them and says, "What do you seek?" And they said to him, "Where are Rabbi, you staying?
0: Where are you staying? Right? Where are you abiding? And where it's are you minnow, abiding? Same yeah.
1: term, right? Where do you where do you stay? Where do you abide? And then Jesus says, "Come, and you will see." And the whole rest of the gospel is an explication of, "Let me show you where I abide. Well, I abide with the Father." The beautiful, beautiful truth,
0: I think. Greg, I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope blessings on you as you're preaching this week. And and may many here, you know, all our listeners here know uh, where to abide in Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or Pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Greg Strawbridge for being my guest today. And thanks again to you all for listening. Until next time, fare thee well.